Hey, this is uh, Link again from the Linux Link Tech Show live at Ohio Linux Fest 2009. And you're listening to Linux in the Ham Shack. What is this ham sh- I like ham. in the ham shack i know y'all missed us we've been gone for almost a month but we have returned and we have a show for you and it's gonna happen and i just thought about it the other day we're over a year old holy mackerel all right uh let me introduce myself i am richard kb5 jbv and uh let me go ahead and introduce that icon of the new you've got to be kidding windows generation russ k5tux say hello to everybody russ Hey, everybody, and hey, Richard. I know you've had a tough week. It's been busy all around, and yes, we have been away for three weeks now. Well, three weeks since the last live recording, two weeks since the last release. I'll throw it back to you, and you can tell everybody about your week, or we can move on, or whatever we're going to do tonight. Well, there you go. I'm trying to get myself right in, in, back in the right frame of mind, everybody, because... I've been bossing people around for three weeks solid, and I'm I'm just a mean, cranky old thing. My boss still thinks I'm the greatest thing since last bread, so we're good to go there. All right, let's go ahead and welcome the folks in the chat room, because they deserve welcoming. And we would welcome you, too, if you decided to show up in the chat room when we recorded live. If you want to find out when we record live, go over to the website, lhsinfo.org. G, he got it right the first time. And in the chat room this evening, we have KC4ZVW, KC8BEW, some guy named RF Podcast. Uh, Cheryl's with us. Bill, KA9WKA, is in there with us. Uh, we've got Teen Radio Live in there studying. Well, he's across the room studying, but that's okay. We'll give him credit for it. And then we have the three unidentified U streamers. Welcome, unidentified U streamers. I guess it's probably about time we did some emails since uh, we ain't been keeping up with that. And uh, let me re- reach over here and make an adjustment, even though I, I can't reach over and I can't tell Russ uh, what you got over there, Russ, because every time I do that, he yells at me. Oh, I'm ready so, this time. Well, every time I ask you, you say, hang on just a minute. Yeah, well, that was, the you know, a couple episodes I just, uh, ago I decided that I'm going to be ready from now on. So I've been ready. Oh, we... I must have missed that memo. Well, I didn't send a memo. I'm I'm horrible with memos. And our fir- first... Oh, holy cow. You were doing so well up until three seconds ago. Yes, it was. And our first and our first piece of email. Uh, well, not email feedback. Our first... <laughs> <laughs> 
I can't mute you from over here. So, all right. And this time, our first uh, piece of feedback is from Kent. It comes out of the forums over blacksparrowmedia.com. And uh, Kent writes, I'm running Debian testing on an Acer Aspire 2920. And the updates are killing me. After the updates around the end of the last month, I was left with an almost unusable GNOME desktop. I can't drag or resize windows. Dialog boxes have become borderless. Title bars are placed under the upper GNOME panel. Uh, let's see. I'm left with only one workspace, a few other things of lesser importance. I realize it's difficult to advance an operating system along a broad front, which is what's happening with testing without missing some things. But I'm getting tired of holding my breath every time I turn on my laptop, waiting to see what new thing are there to greet me. Maybe I should switch to Lenny or blank. Insert your favorite distro here. And that's from Kent, V4KEH. Well, Kent, I feel your pain. And here's what my number one suggestion. I'm sure Russ and I are probably of one mind on this. Quit using the testing distro. Go to a stable Debian. Go to a stable Ubuntu. If it's testing, it's going to be full of bugs. That's just like a brand new release of Windows. It's going to be that way. So what do you think about that, Russ? Well, I'm going to have to disagree with Richard on this one. I have never had a problem with Debian testing. In fact, I have rarely had a problem with Debian Unstable. And when I when I run a laptop or when I run a desktop computer, I almost invariably run the Unstable distribution. Not Not only have I not had problems with testing or Unstable, the only problem I can re- recall that actually messed up a machine I was running happened in Stable. And that was a long time ago, so I'm not uh, saying anything that's recent as far as Debian's concerned, but I upgraded a bunch of servers that were running the stable distribution because I figured, well, they're stable. (laughs) Well, the problem was they forgot to include a part of one of the packages, and so when you did the upgrade, it deleted stuff and then didn't upgrade it, and it broke a whole mess of stuff pretty, pretty horribly. That was in stable. It just goes to show that you can have problems in any distribution, whether it be called stable testing or unstable. I'm a little surprised that testing is giving you such problems because testing is the distribution that they recommend you install when you get the network install ISOs, the little compact CDs. They run about 80 to 130 megs, so you install most of your packages from the web. What used to be called... You know, what used to be called Lenny in the testing distribution is now the 5.0 release, and they're calling it the stable release. And that's what you download when you download those ISOs. It interests me that you're having problems with the Acer. Have you checked it to make sure you're not having some sort of hardware issue? You know, uh, something along those lines. Uh, Of course, you can always do a force uh, reinstall of all the packages that are uh, involved with the GNOME desktop to see if that helps. Something is weird here is all I can say. All right, I guess I rambled on about that long enough based on Richard's reaction in in the chat room (laughs) or on the video. So uh, if that didn't make any sense, send us an email back, and we'll see if we can help you more specifically on this. But I'm I'm surprised that you're having that kind of trouble with this distribution, and I wouldn't give up on it necessarily and go back to stable because you shouldn't be having those kind of problems. 
you know, not to say that you shouldn't try mint or something else as well, but uh, I think it's unusual that Lenny's giving you that much trouble. I'm done now. Yeah. You can go ahead. <laughs> yeah, even, even with a stable uh, distro, there there is the possibility of having problems like that. Um, in fact, I'm fighting one over here right now. For some reason, my <laughs> my Sansa clip and my iPods don't want to play nice on my Ubuntu installation and uh been giving each other a hard time. So uh and it wasn't that way until the one or two of the updates back. So uh maybe we should probably just check into that and uh, get back to you a little later on it. Next up, we got this uh we got this uh, piece of a comment on the website and uh I'm sure unsure because I couldn't verify the uh where it came from i couldn't get a good page out of it so i could see what was going on with it but it asked a good question and i'm not even going to read the piece of feedback but i will uh will read the question so we can uh, approach it for a minute uh do any of the ham radio digital protocols support full tcip a second part of that question was can we load can our website be loaded via packet radio uh that answer to that question is no However, there are several protocols, including packet, where TCIP is available. It's normally run uh, on higher speed links than uh, your average uh, lower speed packet radio uh, links. But the best bet would be to uh, go ahead and read up on the literature concerning that. Nowadays, most of the stuff concerns protocol or pieces of the protocol, not exactly all the protocols, the uh packet protocol and that kind of stuff and in fact sometimes you'd be better off just bursting ASCII but we'll go ahead and uh, and move on for that and I'm going to put that on the list so we can talk about it more intelligently in the future do you have anything on that Russ? No I was just going to ask you what, what amateur radio protocols support TCP IP because I didn't uh, bother to investigate this one uh, you can run TCP IP on, uh, on packet links for sure and um I believe the 128K D-Star digital link is full TCP IP. Well, I didn't know that, so I know that now. I'm learning just like everybody else. Well, there you go. In fact, uh, a lot of the networking type stuff for the old packet networks, that's uh, that's the direction they went because it worked, uh, worked a whole lot better than just regular old uh, burping packet. A uh, lot of crickets, a lot of crickets. So I've uh, I've done run my head with two two of my feedbacks over here. Uh, you got anything over there, Russ? Yeah, I've got a couple. I don't know if you have these as well, but um thinking since they're uh, website comments that you probably do. But we got one here from Alex, OZ9AEC. And I always have trouble with his last name, so I'm not even going to try it. But anyway, his comment is, Windows 7 launch party? No thanks. I'll go to an Ubuntu 9.10 release party instead. And I can do that every six months instead of every six years. Well, that was a little harsh, I thought, but true. Whether it be Alex, harsh I'm or... with you, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> some, I'm some with people, you, buddy. <laughs> some people would say that coming out with a distribution every six months is the wrong way to go as well. So, you know, everyone has their own ideas about that. But no, neither of us went to a Windows 7 party and... Uh, I had no intentions of doing that. Windows 7 is out and I haven't rushed out to buy it and I'm not, I haven't heard of anybody else who has either. So 
I still got my demo version, and I'm still enjoying it as much as I can enjoy Windows. It it links up nicely with the Xbox when I want to stream music. I like it for that, if nothing else. But anyway, uh, so what do you think of the Windows or the Ubuntu 910 launch party idea? I think that idea rocks. Let me tell you, uh, we I catch a lot of flack for being anti Windows. Uh, fact of the matter is, I'll repeat something I think I said in the last episode, which is most of the folks that use Linux that uh, talk badly about Windows have used Windows. Most of the people that talk badly that use uh, people that use Windows that talk badly about Linux have never even looked at it. And the fact of the matter is, use what works best. I use Ubuntu because it's easy. It fits into the way I use my my main computer when I'm working from day to day. But I've proven in the past that uh, as long as it works right, I don't care how long it takes for it to come out. Problem is, my Windows can take six years to come out and still not work right. But that's pretty much all I have on that one. <laughs> <laughs> he provided. Uh, he pro- I Alex. think that idea rocks. <laughs> I think it's a pretty good idea too. Alex provided a link in the webs in his post, uh, houseparty.cx, but it's not loading for me, so I'm not sure if that's an actual Ubuntu 9.10 launch party or something else because it doesn't work. Thank you, Alex, for your email. And let's move on to the next one. Uh, let's see, uh, Jim, N3JIM sent us a, a message, comment, suggestion, possibly a post. I can't really tell where it comes from. His, his, his particular comment is APRS, automatic packet reporting system, not position reporting. Has a lot more capability than merely seeing your car in the driveway. APRS is not a vehicle tracking system. It is a two-way tactical real-time digital communication system between all assets in a network sharing information about everything going on in the local area, dot, dot, dot. Well, Jim, it's kind of like this. I have to explain this from time to time. I started running packet radio in the late 80s. My father and I were both hubs for the worldwide digital packet network, VHF and UHF. Here in the DFW area, I've been running protocols, different digital protocols, ever since I got licensed in the late 80s. Ready, Amtor, Pactor, you name it, I've probably run it. Uh, even ASCII. Ooh, Lord, ASCII. And even had a uh, an AppLink board, a Pactor board, which was running WinLink Classic, and everything else. Now, now that I've spouted off about all this stuff I've done, APRS is just barely past the packet. You'd be just as good, be doing just as good bursting ASCII. It uses only part of the protocol, and I really don't see any use for it. Now, if it's uh, designed to be tactical, real-time digital communications between assets on a network, fail. And as far as packet reporting system or position reporting system, Here's what we've got. We have two websites, www.aprs.org and www.aprs.net. And one calls it packet reporting system. The other calls it position reporting system. Now, I spent some time today trying to hunt down Bob's website so that uh, the guy that developed it, hunting down his website so that I could uh, find out 
what his opinion on it is. Now, if I made a mistake, yes, I do apologize. However, um, these folks that are purporting to be the authorities on this stuff need to get their information right. Now, as far as it, the uh, real-time tactical, you'd be better off using something with error-correcting protocol number one, which packet the way APRS uses it, uses it is not error-correcting. It's brute force. It's just like uh, FEC mode AMTOR. Without the acknowledgement packets and everything else that goes along with it, you might as well be running PSK. And the fellows here in the DFW area, and from what I can tell by backing the map out and looking at the rest of the U.S., use it to make sure their car is in their driveway at night. So there I have spouted and vented, and Russ is hiding behind his screen over there because I get a little wild about this stuff. We've done some information for y'all on APRS. I don't have any faith in it. I've been watching it ever since it come out. I don't use it. I don't care for it. And But I will continue to try and get some of you guys' stuff so you can get up on the air with it so that uh, y'all can pursue it, even though it's not something I particularly care for. So what do you think about that, Russ? Well, it's no secret that I agree with you. But I agree with you from the position of I've never really used APRS, but knowing what I know about it and what I've heard you talk about, I don't see much use in it either. If you want to use it as a sort of globalized asset tracker, that might be a useful thing, but from what I've seen, people don't actually use it that way. They use it as a low jack or as a sort of a theft deterrent so they know where their vehicle is, and that's all I've ever seen. Oh, and sometimes people will watch a wide area map and watch uh, pretty little pixels dance around as people drive wherever they happen to be going. But that's all I've ever seen of APRS. So if there's more to it, I'd, I'd like to see it. But so far, I haven't. And the thing about it is also, I know I'm going to catch some flag, but y'all remember that uh, guys like Pete Lovell, Lavelle Lovell, and uh, N5CSU, Rick out there, and some of the others that are fairly well-known in the APRS community. They're all from this area. And I know I've known a bunch of these guys for a long time. So I have this same same discussion with them at ham fests and coffee. I know I'm going to get some haters. But like I said, I approached it to research it, to get the information to the listeners, and that's why we're here. Y'all let my personal opinions on it just kind of drop by the wayside. And uh, we'll move on. So you got anything else over there, Russ? No, as far as feedback's concerned, that's all I got. And, you know, those were forum posts over at blacksparrowmedia.com, and I think there are one or two comments on the LHS website. But I didn't get any personal ones or anything like that, and the Google alerts were uh, nothing major, just uh, some references to uh, podcast output. So that's all I've got over here. I think uh, you said you had one more? Yeah, I got one more. All right, well, let's let's do it. My policy on spam is pretty simple. If I get a piece of spam from you, I'm going to make it where I don't get any more spam from you. So in the last couple of weeks or a, last, a couple of weeks back, I got a, a message, a direct message via Twitter about how I made $300 today with HTTP, whatever it is, a piece of spam. And this came from someone that I've been following ever since I got on Twitter. 
what I did is send a direct message. What I usually do, I send a direct message back and said, the band hammer falleth. And then I locked them out of my Twitter. Well, I received an email <laughs> from this individual, my direct email, uh, talking about how rude I was, how it wasn't their fault. Uh, they were angry at me. They'd been listening to my show. They, they all, they told people about my show and everything. Oh, here it is. I'm the person you banned on Twitter today. I was unfortunately affected by a worm, which you can uh, read about here, and it gives me a link. And then it goes on for several paragraphs. Let me condense this a little bit. Uh, worm affecting my account. You were the only person that wrote me about I didn't write her nothing. I told her she was banned. Uh, and ascribe malice to it. I never ascribed malice. I said, uh, ban hammer, the ban hammer follow. I'm sure you've never been affected by blah, blah, blah. The next time that something trips you up and people go around and choose to overlook it. Look, I understand your feelings may be hurt. I'm sorry. I am truly sorry, but that's just less I have to uh, deal with as far as spam. And as far as viruses infecting your system, that's not my fault either. And if you choose to use an insecure operating system, which gets into your email, your Twitter, whatever, and send out emails, then that's your fault, not mine. So how do you feel about that one, Russ? Yeah, I don't like spam either. I think I'm a little bit more lenient. I at least try and find out if it is a virus or worm or kind of thing first or an infection and give people at least half the half the benefit of the doubt. But then after that, yeah, I, I do what I have to to get rid of it because I, you know, I probably get a thousand emails a day and I have to read through most of them. And so any, any little bit of spam really kind of throws me off my game. So I have to be pretty diligent about it. But I think that's all I'm going to say about spam because it really doesn't have a lot to do with what we're talking about. It just, it's a matter of, you know, comment made in the chat room, which is the way I feel about it. Uh, most people out there, they run Windows machines, which are known to have security holes. They, they don't run the antivirus software. They don't ad, run adware software. They do the absolute minimum to get on there and get on Facebook or rotten.com or whatever it is they're going to or download their iTunes or whatever. And they never do anything to fortify their system to try and keep people out. We have a little bit more of an advantage with Linux. And a little bit more, and a bit of an advantage with Apple in the fact that they are a little harder and there's less people, they're a smaller target. So let's see what else has been going on. Previous to my bosses and the folks at corporate office trying to kill me, I was able to get out down to Belton. We'll talk about that in a little bit. I believe Russ has got some clips for, uh, clips from Ohio Linux Fest that uh, he's going to run for us. Uh, we might talk a little bit about, uh, about some other stuff after that, but you know what? As for now, unless Russ has an obje objection, I think we probably need to move on and play a little music. What do you think, Russ? No, that sounds good. It's pretty much how we do things here. So I'll pick something out of the baggie of music that I've got lying around and we'll come back on the other side and talk about the second segment, which is going to be some Stuff to clean up all the junk that I have left over from Ohio Linux Fest and some other miscellaneous audio so I can clear out the backlog of stuff and then we'll move on to a new topic toward the end. So here's something to listen to. We'll be back in a minute.
packed of things She didn't say a thing She left you without a bit of truth You are a bit of youth And everyone has left you since And all you want are friends And God seems like you're stuck around Just to let you down Always be so hard to let them go. Will it always be so hard to let them go? Will it always be so hard to let them go? You ever kissed She said you got a fix And the first girl That you ever loved Well she didn't love you back And the first girl That ever shed your bed Well she got up and left The time in It always broke your heart You're in recovery still Will it always be so hard to let them go? Will it always be so hard to let them go? Will it always be so hard to let them go? refreshing to hear some of that music that Russ has picked out. It's been it's been far too long, far too long. I didn't know what to do with myself two weeks ago on Tuesday night. I had to actually, like, watch television. Ugh. I hate it. Okay, Russ, so uh, let's say you got some stuff uh, left over from Ohio Linux Fest. Is that correct? That would be correct. I have uh, a little segment that we got quite a while back that we haven't aired yet that I'm going to air from one of our listeners, 
And then I've got a few interviews and some miscellaneous audio from Ohio Linux Fest that will sort of get rid of the stuff that's been hanging around like old crufty junk in the closet. We better air that before it becomes too far, too far dated to be uh, relevant. We'll listen to some OLF stuff, some miscellaneous audio. It's all interesting, so don't go anywhere. And I'll throw in some music after we listen to all that audio. Come back on the other side, and we've got some new topics to throw at you. Maybe not topics, maybe a topic, but it'll be interesting all the same. So we'll see you in a little bit. We'll start with a submission we got from Joe, NE3R, back in early September. This is a segment on using Minicom, which is a terminal-level application for connecting to devices that use a serial port. So thanks again to Joe, NE3R, and here's a segment. Minicom is to... Linux as hyperterminal is to Windows, sort of as Minicom is a console application, but it's easy to use its basic functions. Many Linux users get an error the first time they run Minicom and often give up right away, but I hope to get them past the initial configuration and connected to their device. Running Minicom-S with elevated privileges, I try to do everything via sudo, but it can also be do, done at a root prompt. If there is no slash etc slash minirc.dfl file, it will load a hard-coded defaults and drop you into the setup screen. Arrow down to the serial port setup and hit enter. Pressing A allows you to edit the serial device. Typically, you'll want to use slash dev slash tty s0. That's a capital S. E lets you change the port speed, parity, and stop bits. In my case, I press E again for 9600 baud and leave the rest default. Enter will exit the serial port setup screen. Arrow down to save the setup as DFL and press Enter again. Then arrow down to exit from Minicom. Even after setting up the COM port settings, you may still have trouble accessing the COM port with Minicom or any other program with a standard user account. You'll get the error Minicom cannot open device slash dev slash ttys0 permission denied. This is easy enough to fix on most systems. You'll need to add yourself to the group that has permissions to the port. On my Slackware distribution I use sudo to run slash usr slash sbin slash usermod dash capital G dialout joe, where dialout is the group and joe is my username. If you don't know what group has the proper permissions, the command ls dash la slash dev slash ttys0 again with the capital S will display it after the owner. Many Linux distributions use the group UUCP. After adding the user account to the group you generally have to log off and log back on. After logging back on run Minicom and it should work as expected. While I was testing this example, I realized that I still had the modem initialization string. Remember those old AT commands? In my video example, 
I connect to the K3PZN packet BBS just to show some functionality. But you can use Minicom for any serial application. Routers and switches, old consoles, even classic dial-up BBSs, and so on. Minicom's built-in help can be accessed by pressing Ctrl-A and then pressing Z. From here, you can press the command letter you want. Q will quit. If you don't need help, simply pressing Ctrl-A and then pressing Q will quit as well. I hope this helps folks get through the hurdles of using Minicom to access their serial devices for the first time. The video is available on YouTube and I will have a transcript available on my blog CryptoJoe.blogspot.com C-R-Y-P-T-O-J-O-E dot blogspot dot com Hello, this is Russ, K5TUX, and this is Linux in the Ham Shack. We are podcasting live from Ohio Linux Fest. Had uh, about an hour and a half worth of activity here so far. Uh, we've been told that there are probably about 1,375 attendees registered, not counting those that will be coming in the door on their own. And so far, we've had some excellent response to our booth here at the Expo. We're sitting among Podcasters Row. There are several different podcasts, including the Linux Link Tech Show to our left. And on the right, we have uh, Security Justice, another podcast about computer security. Everybody who listens to us probably listens to the Linux Link Tech Show, at least. We'll have more on this a little bit later on. How you doing? How you doing? Good. Good. Ham <coughs> radio operator? Huh? Extra? Excellent. One of these days, I'll, I'll get there. <laughs> <laughs> not that hard. No, I, mean, I know it's not that hard. Just got to study it. That's all. It's a time all. issue. Yeah, it is. It is. So what do you got? The logging? The like logging contacts? Um, yeah, I, I've got several applications running over here. I've got uh, FLDG, mm-hmm. uh, M-Radio Deluxe running under one, yeah. and uh, X-Logger, and then G-Predict over here and G-Rig for uh, rig control <laughs> satellite tracking. It's just... Tried to pull up a few different. Yeah, uh, well, I use Ham uh, Radio Deluxe. <laughs> yeah, Ham so. Radio Deluxe is kind of hit or miss under Linux, but uh, yeah. do you use it under Linux or do you use no, it? No, I don't. Use yeah, it I, got, I got one Windows machine I have to keep because there's some other software development stuff that only runs under Windows. Right. Things like that. It doesn't like to play light. Well, nice so, so you USB have an excuse. Port. You've already got a Windows machine, so you can write. Yeah. <laughs> well, I got a, I got quite a few. Well, I got quite true. a few of them. Yeah. Neat. Neat. So do you have any Linux machines? Or? I'm so, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. What, what uh, version oh, of Oh, God, I'm running Ubuntu 904 on one of them. I'm running uh, Fedora 410, I think it is, on the other one. Oh, jeez. I got, uh, under virtual machines, I got a bunch of them that I play with. Yeah. Ubuntu, Ubuntu, you know, Fedora series, Sufi, just a bunch of things I play around with. Uh, but for the yeah, for my radio, I got a uh, ICOM, and with the ICOM, I use HRD. Yeah, uh, to run that with. So. It's good right. stuff. I like it. Have it you listened to the well. show? Have you heard of the show? I'm sorry. Have you heard of our show? Or no, I have not. No, I have not. Where are you at? With well, uh, I mean, do you listen to any podcasts? Oh yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, if you want to take a card, it's yeah. got our information on it. Uh, information where you can download uh, and get the feed. 
Okay. I thought I had my glasses with me. Oh, there it is. Hmm. Neat. Yep, I'm not familiar with it. I'll have to check that one out. That's why we're here. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. Very good. And uh, we got, we're recording your audio here, so if you. Uh, oh. If you want us, if you don't mind us using it, if you just tell us who you are, I can stick it in the show. So. Sure, sure. Jim Garrett uh, from Baltimore, KB3ORA, uh, checking out some of the stuff that's here. It's good stuff. Come on down. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. Hello, this is Russ K5TUX again. We're about another hour into the Ohio Linux Fest. It's about 11.15 in the morning. Things have been going quite well. We've had quite a few AM radio operators come through the convention so far, and several people who have been very interested in ham radio, as well as people who are Windows users that I've tried to sell on using Linux. I've got DVDs available to give away of our first 22 episodes of the program, and I've given those away to several people who are interested in the program. I've actually been a little bit surprised at the very high interest in ham radio and Linux in the ham shack here. It's it's run very, very well for us so far. And I uh, had one guy come up, and I don't remember his call sign, but he got us interested. And Matt, KC8BEW, a regular listener to the podcast, has been wandering around and donated some ham radio gear for us to use uh, on our display table. He also suggested that we should probably bring Linux in the Ham Shack to the exposition down at the Dayton Hamvention next year in May, and we are definitely planning on doing that. I don't know if we'll be able to drag Richard out of Texas for that, but I certainly hope so. And to that end, we are going to start a donation fund drive in order to get people to see if, or in order to see if we can get people to contribute to providing our booth space or to helping us get our booth space at the Dayton Hamvention. We understand that the goal is about $650 is what it takes to get a booth at the Dayton Hamvention, and we would really like to do that. I'm certainly willing to pitch in whatever is necessary to cover any differences, but if we could get our listeners to help us out, and maybe we could see everybody out in Dayton next year, that would be great. I'll have another report in about a half hour or 45 minutes from Ohio Linux Fest 2009. All right, we are live again at Ohio Linux Fest. This is Rusk at K5TUX with Linux in the Ham Shack. And we just had a lucky coincidence where Beth Lynn Eicher of OLF wandered up to the microphone. So hello, Beth. <laughs> Beth Lynn. Hi, I'm Beth Lynn Eicher at the Ohio Linux Fest. And this is Rob Ball standing right next to me also at the Ohio Linux Fest. Say hi, Rob. Hello. <laughs> What's going on, Rob? I just went down and checked out the Good Geek Awards. It's incredible. Oh, my goodness. Uh, I have not seen it in person just yet, but I am really excited that we're going to give away the first award ever, but we're going to do this every year, that we will give an award to one good geek that has really done an outstanding job for the open source community, and I'm really excited that... An outstanding individual who's done great things for the open source community for the past 40 years is going to be awarded today at 7 p.m. That's excellent. Now, what were you saying when you were not pointed at the microphone? I was saying I was just down at the um, 
at the Idea Foundry uh, table, and they just brought in the Good Geek Award, and it's, it's beautiful. There are etchings that are incredibly intricate. Uh, it's it's a gorgeous-looking clock. I remember I when we were wait. talking for the first time that I was interested in finding out what the clock was going to look like, so I had to go down there and check it out. It's really cool. Huh? Yeah. Very cool. So how's it been going for you? I know we met you last night when we started to set up, so how's the, how's the show been going for the you? The show is going great. Uh, we have some great participants this year and some exciting happenings. and uh, just It's amazing what, what happens here and what community we can you know, build on. So we still got a bunch of people to come, right? <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. The registration has been absolutely amazing, but it was only at till the bitter end that people decided, heck yeah, we want to be at the Ohio Linux Fest. <laughs> well, everybody should want to be at Ohio Linux Fest this year and next year for sure, because I think we'll definitely come back. It's been well worth it. So, And uh, thank you guys for putting on a great show. Well, we appreciate it. We do it for the community because we are the community. And the community is apparently responding because they're out in droves today. So. Well, we actually have a speaker in line up for the mic, so I'm going to step aside. <laughs> and, uh, you want to say something for us? Uh, introduce yourself. Yeah, please introduce yourself. My name is Doug Van from Indianapolis, Indiana. I'm presenting the uh, Drupal intro session at 5 o'clock in the Source Forge room. All right. Manning the Drupal table way over there on my far left that your listeners can't see. <laughs> So why would be we, you know what are we interested in Drupal for? I mean we know Drupal. it's a content engine, but what? yeah, what's well, uh, and so much more uh, content management system, uh, web application framework, um, many things to many people. Uh, you know, Popular Science Magazine, Fast Company, This Week in Tech, The Onion, uh, MTV.co.uk, uh, SpreadFirefox.com, uh, Ubuntu.org, I believe. Can't keep them all straight. Uh, recovery.gov, if you want to know which executive got your tax money. That's a, that's a Drupal site. So, um, you know, it's been adopted in a, uh, by many people. So you're going to try and convince me that I should get off of WordPress and use Drupal, right? WordPress is an amazing, uh, deserving uh, of attention application for blogs. Uh, um, I think it's a, it's a light CMS. Some people say it's not a CMS at all. And some people think it's a full-blown CMS. I think it's light. I think it does what I need. You know, exactly. I've, I've, I've played with Drupal before, and I, it's not that I haven't found things to like, because I certainly did, mm-hmm. but it just didn't do what I wanted it to do. Sure. And uh, so we kind of stuck with WordPress. And when I, we, we know people who are deal with WordPress, and we kind of promote it, but I know people who love Drupal and will use nothing else. You know, oh, yeah, that's me. <laughs> a Ukrainian missionary friend of mine uh, got a WordPress uh, site and um, read up and studied up and did what he could. And he had found the learning curve of WordPress to be very workable. Steve? Oh, workable. Oh, workable. Okay. And I wouldn't dare take what he has and move him into a Drupal platform because the learning curve for him there would be astronomical. <laughs> so right. out of the box, get it done, get your blog set up, make you know, poster pages. Um, that's, that's good stuff for him. You know, I, wouldn't, right. I wouldn't dare. So Drupal's not the tool for the job. You know, I don't, I don't cut, uh, you know, cut my sandwich in two with a, with a hacksaw. You know, i got to use the right tool for the right job. Right, exactly. I mean, how would you compare yourself with uh, other more more or less popular content you're engines? You're talking about Joomla. Joomla or even Python and Zope or something yeah, like that. Yeah, Well, I have experience in Joomla and Plone, Plone on Python. Uh, not Plone 3, although I saw a demo and loved it. Uh, I will say this. I come from Joomla into Drupal, and the two things I really like that stick out quickly in my mind in comparing Joomla with Drupal is that, number one, 
Which one do I want to call number one? Okay, in no particular order. <laughs> um, every module in Drupal is free. Right. There is no charging for it. Now, if, there, if, if there's not a module for what you want, I have to build one for you. I will charge you to build it, and then when I'm done building it, it's there. Right. If I want to wrap a simple GUI around it and make it applicable to all sites, then I contribute that for free, and there we go. Um, and also, all we have is modules. There's not plugins, extensions, widgets. This, there's one thing you install. You install it the same way, and you're good. You put it in the same place, right. so it's very easy. But that, that was one thing, modules. The second thing, which is almost the first thing, I always go back and forth, is the community. I was involved with Joomla for two and a half years, never physically saw another person. Uh, their meetings always appeared to be in Canada and overseas for uh-huh. Joomla, and um, the books were always uh, were frequently written, frequently written by overseas people, and, right. uh, but you know, we, we have that in Drupal as well, but uh, I just didn't feel a North American, you know, Yankee presence in the Joomla community, and um, I, you know, I, I did what I did with it, but when I came into Drupal, it's like, you know... It's, it, the virtual element of our community is almost an afterthought. Mm-hmm. You know, we're just a group of really good friends, you know, thousands of us, who happen to have a piece of software in common. If it wasn't Drupal, we'd be doing something else. Right. So the community is amazing. Uh, Pact, A-Press, uh, O'Reilly, uh, Wiley, and in- independent publishers can't get enough of us. We're continually feeding, feeding, feeding the engine out there of interest and education. Podcasts, screencasts, uh, online tutorials and recipes... Uh, you know, terra, terra, how many terabytes? I mean, we are just, just just driving this information because people are hungry. Right. I'm getting a lot of attention at, my, at our booth, the Drupal booth. Uh, many people are coming to the 3 o'clock birds of a feather for Drupal, and many are coming to the uh, 5 o'clock intro. And uh, in Portland in a couple of weeks, there's a week-long uh, um, educational experience out there from lullabot.com. Do It With Drupal is in December 1911. Um, in uh, New Orleans. I mean, we're just constantly getting together. Drupal Camp Atlanta was last weekend. I was out there presenting. Uh, Drupal Camp LA, six weeks ago, I was out there. Drupal Camp Wisconsin before that. Drupal Camp Chicago is coming up in um, December. I mean, we're just constantly, constantly meeting. Anybody who wants to learn Drupal can get in front of people who want to teach Drupal. So community effort for Drupal is obviously huge. I mean, there's no question. It's unparalleled. I, I, I challenge anyone to show me a more just... You know, enigmatic, enthusiastic, zealot bunch of freaks <laughs> who just want to give this stuff away. Right. Well, thank you very much for stopping by. You've been a great advertisement for Drupal. <laughs> thank you so much. Obviously, you're doing exactly what you're supposed to be doing. Thank you.
Okay, and uh, now you've had your little dose of Ohio Linux Fest, uh, and we're back. And uh, Russ going to talk a little bit about his uh, new station, but you know what? I'm going to make him wait. Because a couple of weeks ago on Saturday, October uh, 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 6th, I think it was, uh, we headed down to Belton. Headed down to Belton. Belton, Texas, the Ham Expo at the Ham at the uh, Belton Expo Center in Belton, Texas. Now you may be asking yourself, where is Belton, Texas? Well, I could be uh, facetious and say Belton, Texas is just south of Temple, Texas. Now you, you would probably say to yourself, where the heck is Temple? Now I could say College Station and you might know or, or that kind of stuff, but let's just put it this way. Okay. It, it's about 20 minutes south of Waco, Texas, about an hour north of Austin, Texas, and about an hour and a half to two hours south of Dallas, Texas, down uh, 35. Now, if that doesn't help, go to Google Maps. So we got down there early in the morning, about time the doors opened, and uh, started to walk through the place. Things were kind of light when we got there. But first thing I saw back in the far corner were the guys from, uh, oh, doggone, I can't remember the company, the uh, software-defined radio guys. They had a... Uh, had an article about one of their pieces of equipment in QST this past month or maybe this month before. And we went on back there and talked to them a while. And one of the things we probably will be covering on Linux and the Hamshack in the not-too-distant future is software-defined radio for the Linux operating system, Flex Radio. Thank you very much, Bill. So I spoke to a couple guys from Flex Radio, and I've got their cards around here somewhere. Unfortunately, uh, things have been a mess here because it's been busy. So we chatted for a while, and they did assure me, because both of them are uh, folks that use Linux on their home computers, that Flex Radio is currently working to develop the same software that runs their software-defined radios for the Linux operating system. And we need to keep an eye out for it. And I have talked to them about an interview, and whether it will be here on the other one, I'm not sure. Y'all keep listening one way or the other. We'll get y'all the information on that. But I, as soon as it hits the uh, stands and I can get my hands or Russ can get his hands on, on one of them to play with, we sure enough will bring y'all some information on that. So uh, let's stop on our magical belt and mystery tour and see if Russ has got anything to say about the Flex Radios. Well, I'm just checking out their website while you're talking about it, and this looks really interesting, so... Everyone should go over to flex-radio.com and check this out, and we will definitely review and explore these as soon as we can because they look really cool. You should see the uh, the interface software on a 50-inch big screen. Well, I don't have one of those, <laughs> so I'm going to have to go with what I've got, but I'll, I'm sure it'll still be cool. I do, but it's in the far end of the house. It runs DVDs and videotapes. But anyway, so... Uh, y'all, y'all stay tuned for that one. So we, we eased on around, took a look at some stuff. I was kind of, kind of eyeballing some, uh, some 10 meter rigs as I was going up and down through there. And, uh, before it was over with, we ended up at one table and I allowed myself to put my hands on a Kenwood TS 50 for uh, a pretty good price. So pretty soon we'll be running HF out of a TS 50 in the, uh, in the truck. So, uh, y'all be listening for us. So we wandered on around there, and you know, the only real vendors or the real manufacturers that were down there was Flex Radio. We did have a lot of folks down there so hocking their wares, you know, uh, cables, uh, connectors, that kind of stuff. 
couple radio clubs that weren't real impressive, but I did come up on the, uh, the booth of the Sidewinders on two. Now the side, Sidewinders on two are a two meter, uh, they're not just a, a VHF group anymore. They just about anything above 50 megahertz at sideband. These guys do. They're based over here in Cedar Hill, Texas. So once again, which is my, my custom, I drove several hundred miles to talk to people that only lived a few miles away. But we sat and talked for a while and uh, discussed uh, getting them on for an interview in one place or another also. And uh, we'll bring it, be bringing you all some of that also. I'm not sure how we'd fit it in the framework of uh, the Linux operating system, but I bet we can figure out a way, propagation software or something. So we moved on around there a little bit more, ran into, uh, and this may sound like a commercial, and I don't care if it does, we ran into Little Henry Allen. Little Henry Allen, the tiny white dwarf. T-Y-D, tiny yellow dwarf, W5TYD, or it may be K5BUG now, I don't remember. Uh, he builds, uh, he is one of the originators of the original Texas bug catcher antenna. He's been a member off and on of the club that I've been a member of down here for uh, several years, and he goes from place to place to place selling his wares, and he's still got those bug catchers, and they are still great. So if you're one of the, uh, at one of the shows, Somewhere in the neighborhood of North Texas, stop on by, look for the little guy with the white beard. That'll be Henry. You can catch him most often at Texoma Hammerama. And let's see, we did five and five. Oh, last but not least, the ARRL. Now, everybody that's listened to me for a while knows that I don't hammer y'all with ARRL. And in fact, I recently resigned my position as assistant section manager, uh, official observer, technical specialist, and a couple of other positions with the league simply because I do not have time to do the jobs. And I want you all to stay uh, kicking with that. But I did have time while I was down there to talk to uh, Dr. Dr. David Woolweaver, the current uh, West Gulf Division Director. And we talked about amateur radio and podcasting and the fact that Russ and I were out here doing uh, doing our best to Elmer as many people as possible and uh, uh, have these shows going on. He was really interested, and I bet at some point I'll be able to get with him and uh, we may be able to work on a project together. Now, if any of y'all are uh, wondering, West Gulf Division Director is the position that Jim Haney, uh, former president of the league, held before uh, uh, dropping back to section level and then running for president of the ARRL. That's for any of y'all that keep up. For those of y'all that don't keep up, you probably don't care. So that's okay, too. We, we're not going to push the agenda anymore. Anyway, uh, there was I had been talking about Jerry Taylor and myself meeting up down at Belton, and unfortunately, Jerry and I were both there, but we completely missed each other. <laughs> and this is because I spent most of my time down there inside the building of meeting and greeting and handshaking and everything. And he was out in the parking lot with a friend of his dad's uh, sitting out on, out there with the tailgaters because they also had a tailgate section out there, which I don't normally go out to take a look at, especially when it's trying to rain like it was that particular day. So now we've done our magical belt and history uh, mystery tour. Uh, you got any comments on any of that, Russ? I don't have any comments on Belton specifically, but I can use the topic of a ham fest in order to plug our visit or potential visit to the Dayton Hamvention in 2010, and we might even be able to drag Richard up there with us if uh, things work out between now and next May. The big thing is I just went and found out what it's going to cost 
for us to set up a booth inside up there, and it's a lot. Now we have a reason for our donation can. <laughs> so I'm going to start, I'm going to beg right now. Um, you can't see me. Most people can't see me. They're just hearing me. So I'm, I'm going to make like I'm getting down on both knees and, and begging for somebody to help us out. I mean, if you can donate a dollar or two dollars or anything to our cause, we would love to go out and be a part of the Dayton Hamvention and, and help get our, you know, ourselves out. And we will definitely make sure that anybody who donates to that cause will get a mention up there and on the podcast and, and all that good stuff. And I'm personally going to match any donations we get. So we actually only need half of the amount. But what you see on the website at lhsinfo.org is the total. So if somebody donates $2, I'll donate $2, and then it'll both show up there. And the the goal for this is $750, because in order to get a 10 by 8 space inside with Internet access, that's how much it costs. Yeah, it's a lot. If anyone out there has enjoyed the show and wishes to help us out getting to the Dayton Hamvention, please go to the website and donate what you can, even if it's only a dollar or two. You can go without a cup of coffee for six hours, I guess, and, and help send us there. And we have from now until May, so we've got some time. Not worried about it yet. You want to do some begging over there, Richard, or am, am I good here? I think you pretty much got it covered. Uh, y'all, y'all make sure y'all, uh, roll on over and throw a donation is, I mean, uh, that particular money is not even actually going direct back into the episodes of the podcast It's going to make sure that we have a booth at, at the Dayton Hamvention, the national convention for you amateur radio operators where the new stuff comes out, where people are to be met, where we can bring folks into the hobby and we can bring y'all some of the newest and most current in- information that's going on out there. So, uh, you know, y'all get off a dollar. You, you can't hardly, you can't even buy soda, at least down here in my part of the world. You can't buy soda for a dollar anymore. So, uh, you know, throw a couple of dollars in there, throw a dollar in today, throw a dollar in in a couple of weeks before it's, uh, before you know it, we're way over the top. And if we have enough uh, funds to make it practical, I'll be able to go too. Don't you know? It would be, uh, it would be a terrible, terrible thing at the national convention if Russ and I were running loose up there together. Yep. Cheryl would be having a man to table and Russ and I would be going and doing bad things to W5YI. So y'all send, y'all send in some donations. All right. So, uh, Russ, what you got to wrap us up? Well, the only thing I've got to wrap us up um, is, well, first of all, let me say that uh, I made a comment to Richard on IRC earlier today that we, as a, as a pair of individual podcasters, have been kind of coasting a little bit over the past couple of episodes. I don't think I'm saying anything that everyone who listens doesn't already know, but we have decided that we're going to get ourselves back on track. We have quite a few topics that we've written down several that I've gathered from Ohio Linux Fest, several that Richard's been interested in, and several that have come in from emails and comments in the chat room that we're both interested in. And we're actually going to buckle down and get back to a format where we we have an idea of what we're going to talk about before we start talking about it. So look for that starting with episode number 25. And that's that's a good episode to start with that, I guess. When, when we hit the 25 mark, we're actually going to go back to the way we used to be back before we decided to get lazy. (laughs) 
Now, are you agreeing with me on this, or am I am I out of my own here? No, I told you this afternoon we need to hunker down and uh, and buckle down. But you know these folks uh, don't listen to us because we're smart. They listen to us because we're pretty. And the fact of, <laughs> <laughs> and 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 the fact of the matter is, yes, we've kind of slacked a little bit. But y'all have to understand that uh, any podcast y'all listen to, the podcasters do go through cycles. I hear it all the time on other shows, and it's not uh, it's a good thing or a bad thing. It's uh, not trying to justify it or anything, but uh, the fact of the matter is we think we're going to have to buckle on down, and that's one of the reasons I'm dropping some of the stuff I'm dropping. When I talk about time constraints, the time I spend spent doing visiting clubs and doing things like that that uh, were my duty and I had to go do them, I can spend studying and trying to figure out some of this stuff and make it happen. Okay, so that sounds good. One of the things that I'm going to be talking about when we actually start going into actual topics again, some of the new distributions I've been trying out. I got a new computer here, a new uh, server computer that has uh, four CPU cores in it and eight gigs of memory, so I've been using it for a virtualization machine, and I've been trying out stuff. I haven't had a chance to try out before. Those things include Arch Linux, uh, Slackware version 13, and OpenSUSE 11.1. Now, I tried OpenSUSE 11.1 because I happened to walk by a booth at Ohio Linux Fest, and there was a guy there pitching it, and he had about a 1,000 CDs, or actually they're DVDs, I'm sorry. They had a 1,000 DVDs left over. And I said, well, since you're giving those away, um, I think I'll go ahead and try it even though I've hated OpenSUSE for the last, oh, eight years or so. So uh, he kind of looked at me funny and then gave me his five-minute-long speech on what's all great about OpenSUSE, and he actually convinced me to try it again, surprisingly enough, because I've, I've had a hard time even looking at OpenSUSE in the face for a while. But I did try it, and uh, I, I had some good things to, t- to say about it and some bad things to say about it, but I'm going to actually put those down before I start rambling. So uh, look look for a review, I guess, of OpenSUSE and uh, and of Slackware. And uh, from what we've talked about on Slackware in the past, it's definitely not a distribution for beginners. And even though it's a version 13 now, it's still not for beginners. So it probably won't go too deeply into it, but people should be aware that it's out there. It's something I recently found out, y'all. Uh, OpenSUSE, if you have uh, video issues with a laptop, an older laptop, you have video issues getting it to uh, get the right resolution going on. I talked, tried to talk my son-in-law through an install of Ubuntu and getting his video right and everything. We beat on that for almost a week. And what ended up happening was he tried a couple of other distros, found SUSE, loaded it up, and it worked just like it was supposed to. And now he's a SUSE fanboy. Unfortunately, he keeps coming and asking me questions, and I quit using it in version 9. So <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not really in a position to help him. That, that's okay. Yeah, we, we need to look into some of that. And I'm going to tell you all about all the distributions that I've used since uh, we started this show. When we start doing this, I've used Ubuntu, Kubuntu, and Ubuntu. Wait a minute. I used Debian for a couple weeks. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm still using the same ones that I always used, which is pretty much Debian and Ubuntu and now Mint. But I, like I say, I've got this virtualization machine, so I've been trying everything I can get my hands on. 
kind of got suckered into open SUSE. But like I said, there are a couple of things to like about it and still plenty of things to hate. So we'll, we'll get to that anyway. But I've been complaining over the last several episodes that I haven't had a radio to use. I've been off the air for quite some time. And when I actually went to check out my electronic logs, I found out that I've been off the air since December of 2007. Uh, which is longer actually by a good stretch than I thought. I knew I was off the air for a while. I had no idea it was almost two years. And um, I, the reason was I was having a problem where every time I would plug my antenna in, it seemed like it would ground out and I would lose all my incoming audio, lose all my receive. I, I tried everything I could think of. I pulled it apart, looked for any kind of short I could find, couldn't find anything, so... Did the next thing that you're supposed to do, which is send it off to tech support and have them look at it. They got it out of the box, serviced the machine, couldn't find a thing wrong with it. They asked me, well, is your antenna messed up? And I was like, well, I don't think so, because I've actually tried this radio on another antenna and had it do the same thing. So, But they couldn't find anything wrong with it, so they sent it back to me, and I plugged it in. Sure enough, same thing happened. About three weeks after I got the radio back, I was like, well, okay, it could be the antenna, so I'm going to buy another one. So I bought another one, and the one I bought was on eBay. It's uh, made by a ham radio operator. I don't have his call sign right handy, but it's a it's a dipole that I have currently in an inverted V format. It's an Alpha Delta DXCC. It's a trap dipole. It's good on 80 through 10. And with my Kenwood TS-570's tuner, it will actually tune up on every band except 30 meters. Uh, not sure what about it won't tune up on 30 meters, but it just won't. It'll turn up, uh, it'll tune up on the other warp bands. It'll tune up on 17 and 12. And of course, my radio doesn't do 60, so I don't have to worry about that one. I can even get it to tune up on 160, but it will not tune up on 30 meters. So that's, that's the only drawback I'm seeing with it so far. But I plugged it in, put up, you know, put up a new piece of coax because, of course, it could have been the coax as well. And uh, sure enough, the radio had no problems. It was, in fact, the antenna. So all I had to do was spend an hour out in the yard putting together a trap dipole, and I would have been on the air two years ago. But, of course, you know, that's how things go. You're going to snicker at me now, right? Well, no, I have problems like that all the time. In fact, I've got a G5 RV over here. Every time it rains, it becomes unusable. <laughs> Mine actually seems to work better in the rain. But anyway, uh, <laughs> this antenna works fantastic. Unfortunately, I got it up just in time for the sunspot cycle to suck and for HF propagation to be so low as to be basically unusable. I don't know if you're experiencing that same thing down there, but that's the way it is here. Well, I really haven't had a chance to pay attention to a lot of it. That's another thing. I'm, I'm another reason I'm eliminating stuff because. I've missed Route 66 two years in a row, and I used to never miss Route 66. It's time to get back to doing some radio and quit playing so much out in the in the public, doing doing the lipping instead of the keying up and operating. Well, um, after I got the radio hooked up, found out that it was fine. Well, the first thing I decided is that I've never used a digital mode, so it's about time I did that. So I went on the I went online. I got myself a Rascal GLX for my radio. Uh, plugged it in and installed FL Digi on, I, I had to install it on Windows XP for, uh, short story is I had iTunes on a Windows machine and it's the one that's sitting back behind me that 
is running all my ham gear. So at least I was using FL Digi, even if I was using it under Windows. I bad could, Russ. Yeah, I know. Bad me. Bad, bad me. I couldn't get it to work with the ham libraries under Windows, but uh, ham, or I'm sorry, FL Digi has what's called the RigCat system. It uses XML configuration files, and I was able to get my radio to respond properly using RigCat. So I got on 20 meters, went up, dialed up one of its preset PSK uh, sites, which is 14.070, watched the waterfall for a couple of minutes, and uh, then sent out a CQ and got first contact on a digital mode ever in my 16 years of being a ham radio guy <laughs> uh, in about two minutes. So I made a PSK contact on 20 meters. I can't remember the call sign. It was a N something one by 2 so obviously uh, an extra operate, extra class of some kind, and seven, I believe. I, th- I think he was up in, uh, I think he was up in Idaho. So that was really cool. I have to say that FL Digi and uh, the FSK, I'm sorry, the PSK mode, BPSK31, uh, turned out to be really, really easy to use. So if you're looking for a really, really easy to use software, FL Digi is the one. And I tried Ham Radio Deluxe, couldn't stand it. Didn't like it at all. So I don't know what people are seeing in that. It's too much program. Yeah, it's way too much program. FL Digi just fires up and does what it's supposed to do and does it simple. And I and I like that a lot. And it'll do a lot of the stuff that HRD will do. It's just uh, not as pretty about it. Unfortunately, you got all these people that want all-in-one things. They're the same kind of people that go out and buy tri-band radios. And don't even get me started on that. But everybody <laughs> bang your hands together because Russ has done finally made, done finally made some digital contact. He's gonna, he gonna make his, he gonna, before long, he's gonna be hooked and there won't be no turning back. No turning back. He'll be walking around with headphones on his head all the time. Oh, wait, too late. <laughs> well, I, I, <laughs> <laughs> he, he, he'll be able to tune in a PSK signal or a packet signal. Uh, I got real good at tuning in uh, ready signals by ear. Then he he'll get that way too. Yay, Russ! Bill says yay. Matt says yay. Cheryl <laughs> says, "Oh my God!" <laughs> yeah, we've already had the discussion about that. So I'm going to have to try and keep it uh, down to a dull roar. But I have definitely gotten the bug, and I'm already looking to get rid of. Well, I'm going to move the uh, Rascal GLX over to my two meter. So I can use it, and then I'm going to get a uh, rig blaster for the HF rig, uh, just because it more easily hooks up to to the particular Kenwood that I have. <laughs> it, depends, it depends on which cable you ended up with. Uh, I've got in, I've got two sets of cables for mine. I've got one from uh, one set for my Yazoo radio, one one set for uh, eight pin Kenwood, and I just plug in in front of that bad boy and have at it. Yeah, I, I like the rig blaster because, well, uh, the 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 GLX. If I'd gotten the the right one, actually, actually hooks up to the accessory port on the back of the Kenwood, um, so I can actually buy another cable to hook up that way. But the thing is, that cable uh, they want thirty or forty bucks for. So at this point, I think I'm just going to swap it for the other radio and get myself the uh, rig blaster plus, which is a much nicer piece of uh, interface equipment, anyway. Well, Buck must have lost his mind. They used to be fifteen bucks. Yeah, they've gone up a bit. Some of them are still as cheap as ten or twelve dollars, but this particular one is rather expensive. 
I had I had to buy the radios with the expensive accessories. Yeah, you can build one, but uh, Buck's, uh, pretty, Buck, Buck's pretty good with that stuff. His girl, his daughter's running the place now, but uh, I think he's still doing some of the manufacturing. Yeah, and I I could build it. It's not that hard to build. I mean, it's soldering a couple of wires together with a couple of uh, ready-made DIN connectors. But I've already established uh, early on in this podcast that I'm not a builder. I have no interest in that. I'm a I'll give you twenty bucks and you build it kind of guy. I know that's not really traditional ham radio spirit, but that's the way I am. <laughs> I can do it. I know I can do it, so I don't have to prove it to myself. Yeah, give give them some money and let them do it. It's always worked for me. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, after I made my PSK contact, I found out from uh, Facebook of all places that there is a net that's actually going on right now, and I'm not going to get a chance to check into that is nation or i'm sorry worldwide via irlp they use uh, what's called the western reflector out in las vegas and they get 2 meter 220 and 440 connections from all over the globe using irlp and they have a big old net there i guess they're shooting for 100 contacts tonight and i was going to get in on that Turns out it's too late, but uh, that's neither here nor there. The, the the upshot of that is that I tried out IRLP, which I find is a pretty cool technology. I'm sure a bunch of old-timer hams will say, you know, that's not ham radio. That's one of those Internet protocols like Echolink, and that has no business in the radio world. But it's actually really cool. It really is. And it gives uh, people who haven't got higher than technician class a way to use the hobby uh, to talk long distances without having to get HF privileges. It doesn't give you the flexibility that HF does, which is a good thing because it still gives you the incentive to get your higher class licenses. But as a good way to get into communicating via long distances and with people overseas and using uh, different modes, uh, it's definitely kind of a cool thing. And let me uh, do a quick look up on where you can find information about IRLP. Uh, it's at irlp.net. The Internet Radio Linking Project uses VOIP technology, and you can actually set up an IRLP node for about 100 bucks if you want to do it yourself. But you can go on the irlp.net site and look up nodes in your area. If you're interested in doing something with a 2-meter radio, especially if you don't have a lot of... Uh, local repeaters in your area, or if you have a 220 radio that you don't use for anything else, or you have a 440 radio that you don't have or don't use for anything else, because those bands, at least where I live, are pretty dead, uh, you may find a local node that's connected to an IRLP uh, reflector, and uh, you know, I'll check that out. There's a couple of very active reflectors out through the United States, and I was talking to uh, 2 Echo Zero last night, which is a middle-class... Um, operator in uh, the uk or in ireland i don't remember which but and that was on two meters so pretty neat stuff middle class that means that he doesn't have a a government job and he's not on the dole (laughs) no he's uh whatever the second class operator is i don't know what it is over there i don't either maybe we should ask colin and martin now it's time to embarrass Russ because Russ needs to get on and uh, talk about a $2 donation that just came in this very minute. Well, not this very minute, but a few minutes ago. Okay, Are so you, that means I have to go run around to... Uh, you, want me to you want me to do it? Oh, you okay. can go ahead and do I'll it do since it. you're already there. Uh, 
Paul from Teen Radio Live sent us a small donation for the uh, uh, Dayton 2010 project. We'd like to say thank you, Paul. And uh, Cheryl, make sure Russ uh, matches it. Oh, I, I will match it. Don't worry about that. I will make sure that all donations are matched so we actually only need to get $375, and we're already $25 of the way, plus uh, Paul's $2 donation right now, which I'm going to make four, so we're $29 of the way to our 750 But if y'all send $750, then Russ will have to put in $750. <laughs> no, I'm only matching up until we get to 750 After that, you know... I'll just be, I'll just smile a lot and, and thank everybody. And anything we get over 750 <laughs> might be wishful thinking at this point. But if we do, we'll definitely invest that back in the program. Well, of course, going to the Dayton Hamventions is investing in the program as well, just sort of in a different way. Exactly. You have the opportunity to spread amateur radio. In fact, I hope Russ is keeping up with who donates to this Dayton Hamvention project because we're going to make sure that everybody knows and somehow or other those names will go with us those names will be immortalized in the Linux and Hamshack Hall of Fame and we will do our best to make sure everybody in Dayton knows them that is very true and I am keeping track I've already got the list started so well, there you go I do have one other thing. I do have one other thing I want to bring up after you uh, commend Paul one more time. I was just say Paul Dunn went off to study. I don't know why he's sending money, but I'm not going to fault him for it. But that's okay (laughs) because Paul's not even a ham yet, and he sent a donation. How's that for shaming (laughs) y'all? I do have one more request. I know it's late in the podcast, so for anybody who's still listening, we are looking, or I personally am looking to update the Linux in the Hamshack logo. The one that I made does well enough for now, but we need a new one. I've got an idea, and I'm putting it together for myself. But if anyone out there is even remotely artistic and wants to try and donate some time to the podcast by coming up with a logo for Linux in the Hamshack, we would really, really appreciate it. We will make sure you get all sorts of adulation and accolades if we choose one that you guys do for our program. And, of course, it'll be prominently displayed with your name. I was just going to translate for the guys down here in the south that don't understand your uh, your accent. <laughs> All right, well, let me finish, and then you can, uh, you can translate into southern. <laughs> so, anyway, uh, if you can come up with something, send it our way, and we will use it if we like it. And if so, uh, your name will be all over our podcast when we release an episode as uh, the cover art. And, of course, it will go up on the website. So now you can translate for the folks down below the Mason-Dixon. Oh, the only thing I was, the only thing that I heard that might have been an issue for folks down here in the South, what he said was artistic. That doesn't mean you just don't pay attention what that means is that you can draw stuff. <laughs> right. That's artistic, not autistic. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, exactly. Autistic and Harriet, Ricky and Dave. And that's pretty good for me, too, because I grew up in New England and I had a habit when I lived there. I talked like a New Englander and I dropped my R's a lot. So if I, li- you know, if I was still living there, I'd have said autistic, basically. 
and now he's going to go to Baltimore. You know, he was in Ohio. He's going to Baltimore. He, he's going to end up messing it up where we can't understand him at all. I think we have done rambled enough to speak it in Texan. So why don't we go ahead and uh, kind of wind this one down. And we got plenty of content for this time. And look forward to next time where we actually have a topic. There you go. Russ is on air. He's happy about PSK. Doggone it. We got another two, another, uh, uh, almost said it. We got another donation for the, for the, uh, send Linux in the ham shack to Dayton fund. We've talked about this, that, the other thing, and five different things. And we have just completely lost our minds. But that's okay because we're coming to the end of our program. Thank you for being patient while we uh, took a little time to get things squared away. And most of all, thanks to everybody that showed up here tonight. Once again, in the chat room, we've got KA9WKA Bill. We've got KC4ZVW. KC8BEW Matt, Cheryl, and four unidentified you streamers. And we are glad to see each and every one. Now, y'all come on and see us the next time because you can be live in the chat room while we're recording. Just check the dates and times over at LHS.org, LHSinfo.org, at LHSinfo.org. Go to LHSinfo.org. LHSinfo.org is the place to find the schedule for live shows at LHSinfo.org. If I say it enough, I'll remember it. Now, my name is Richard KB5JBV, and if you want to get a hold of me, you can send me an email at KB5JBV at BlackSparrowMedia.com. You can contact me on Twitter, Identica, uh, all the other crap, Facebook, everything else. I'm KB5JBV. You can even get a hold of us at the forums over at blacksparrowmedia.com. We don't post in there a whole heck of a lot, but we do see everything that gets posted in there, and we make sure we uh, at least uh, address it on the show. And that's at www.blacksparrowmedia.com. Blacksparrowmedia.com, the home for home cooking and lardified french fries. Y'all come on by the forums at blacksparrowmedia.com. Now, uh, holy mackerel, I need some oxygen. Take it, Russ. <laughs> All right. Well, while Richard tries to stop himself from passing out, I'm Russ, K5TUX. You can find me on Twitter, Identica, MySpace, Facebook, and everything using J.R. Woodman. And you can email me at K5TUX at BlackSparrowMedia.com. Do all the things that Richard said, including send us email, post on the forums at blacksparrowmedia.com, post a comment to the website at lhsinfo.org, send us a donation to help us get to the Dayton Hamvention in May of 2010, and we hope to see everyone out there. And that's about all I've got, because I think we've done beat it into the ground, but from the soaking wet valley between the peaks up here in the pine forest of north central Arkansas, this is Russ, K5TUX. I'm down there in the bunker in Bald Springs. And calling 911. This is KB5JBV. See you next time.